Hey everybody, welcome to Hit Rewind. This episode will be continuing our discussion of movies from 1996. I was told recently at a birthday event uh, uh, that I talk too fast. I talk way too fast and no one can understand me. Jacob, do I talk too fast? Tell me uh, No, Tell me you go at a very, very steady pace. You know, not too fast. I mean, if you wanted to go faster, you could be like Blur from the Transformers movie. Yeah, well, I can't do that. I pass out. But no, they're just like, they're all looking at me and I'm like, what and and one guy's like just kind of leaning in and he's my age and i go are you losing your hearing that's like the third time you've done that this morning he goes no you talk really really fast i'm like oh shit sorry i guess i'm excitable <sighs> yeah, well, yeah hey you know maybe it's maybe it's just them they're just slow slow and hearing yeah so 1996 i saw a fuck ton of movies in the theater apparently because i'm looking at this list and I would say 75% or more I saw in the theater. What are you doing with your microphone? Are you eating? No, I'm just moving. Maybe oh, okay. it's the hair from my neck. I need to shave. Uh, yeah, summer, <laughs> summertime, shave everything. Every, <laughs> go smooth. Um, I did just cut my hair, though. The uh, So last episode, I saw every single one of those in the theater. And I saw all but one of this episode's movies in the theater. And we're going to have fun at the end of this. You tell me <laughs> if you can figure it out. <laughs> All right. Um, what do you want to start with? Uh, I want to start with uh, the one I started watching first, Broken Arrow. That was the one I haven't seen before. I never realized it was a John Woo film. Yeah. Oh, in the minute it gets going, you know it's a John Woo film. Oh, God, yes. Damn, like from the action and uh, just that opening boxing match between John Travolta and Christian Slater, man. I mean, again, it does, like, show how this movie will pan out. Yeah. Well, here's what I don't understand. How is it that John Woo, back in 1996, could move the camera so swiftly in all these action sequences and the camera doesn't jitter, but ever fucking since Born Identity, it, it's all it does is shake and shake and make me puke. You Go back. Please, everybody, go back and watch John Woo. Maybe don't do so much of the slow-mo. But please look at how he's moving the camera around in an action sequence. It's beautiful. It's a ballet of bullets. Absolutely. No, gosh, that's what I noticed. I mean, especially after, you know, watching something like Captain America Civil War, it's like, oh my gosh, I feel like I'm on the lazy river compared to like a freaking wooden roller coaster. Yeah, it's so the sequence, especially in the mines, as they're moving around, at no point does that camera ever shake. And it's constant, like obstructions and stuff they got to move around, but he just knew how to do it. Um, so uh, you're actually going to figure out which one I didn't see in the theater just based on these stories. This is a movie. <laughs> so there's the core three of us, uh, sadly, Dave, who died a couple years ago. Uh, Dave, Ron, and I, we would always go to the movies together. Sometimes we'd have bring some more of our extended group, but it was always the three of us. And Ron was the hardcore horror guy at the time, and he was desperate to see Hellraiser 4, even though we all saw the reviews of that were god-awful. And um, <laughs> me and Dave wanted to see Broken Arrow, and he kind of wanted to see Broken Arrow. He wasn't sure. And so he's like just really trying to convince us to see Hellraiser. Like you like the first two Hellraisers, the third one not so much, but you know this one could be great. It's set in space, whatever. And I'm like, dude, no. See, Dave hated horror movies for the most part, unless they were funny, and, and they would actually traumatize him. And so the first time in history that I look over at my mother and I said, intervene, say something, whatever. And so she finally said, Ah, Michael, I know that you're. 
I think I was uh, 19 at the time. He goes, I know you're an adult at 19 or whatever, but I'm telling you, if you live in this house, you're not going to see something as demonic as Hellraiser. And I'm like, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Also, Hellraiser, the first Hellraiser, was the only movie that was ever banned in my house. And my mom is real liberal and giving when it comes to movies. And she saw Hellraiser, and you've seen it, right? Yeah, oh, it's fucking grotesque. Yeah, you know the part where all the hooks are in him, and he has his tongue on, he's like, Jesus, what? Whatever. And she goes, turn it off. Nope. No, none of my house. Yeah, no. Oh, gosh. Those are one of the very few movies I can't eat. Afterwards, yeah. Yeah, no, I can't eat while watching the movie. Oh, okay. Other horror movies I can, but that one I'm like, okay, I'm I'm done. I got a stomachache now. So, (laughs) so Hard Target had already come out and done well. So John Woo's name is out there now, and this is kind of his, you know, kicking up to the next level. You know, he's now an A-list league. You know, because John Travolta just had a big comeback. You know, he he had Pulp Fiction and Get Shorty. Uh, Christian Slater still like he never got to be an A-lister, but he's a strong B at this time. And just a really clever plot from the guy who wrote um, uh, Speed. And uh, I'll say this. This is planes, trains, and automobiles, but like a violent version. Because <laughs> it's constantly going from, it's, it's point A to point B, but everything goes wrong along the way. And they keep having to change transportation. <laughs> and, yes. oh, and they hate each other. They fucking hate each other. <laughs> right. Oh, God, yes. No, I mean... This, of course, you know, John Travolta ends up being the bad guy right from the get-go. You know, Master and Apprentice, like, you know, duel going on here. And, of course, the Apprentice is having to pick up on his master's, you know, tactics throughout the entire movie. So there's that dynamic, and that was good to see. You know, John Travolta, he didn't have to do that to him. You know, he still cared for him. Yeah, well, he has such a weird relationship with him. It's hard to figure out. It almost feels a mentor, oh, be lustful almost, like he has a thing for his partner, and see, he's like a sadomasochist, and I think that's what it is. Like, he loves him, but he wants to also hurt him. Yeah, no, it's pretty, yeah, he was a pretty bizarre character. He's a oh, toy, he's a cat patting at a mouse, man. Oh, man, yeah, but honestly, I will have to say that John Travolta played this so well. Holy fuck, honestly, I remember... <laughs> I thought I hated this performance for a long time. I was like, it's too fucking big. It's too hammy. And then I watched it this last time, and I haven't seen it in a long time. I go, oh, this is kind of a dark comedy. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, gosh. Especially when it came to that one benefactor. I keep forgetting his name. Bob Gunton from Demolition yeah. Man. Yes, from Demolition Man. And, uh, oh, yeah, he was also uh, Egon Standing in uh, Ghostbusters Afterlife recently. Oh, I haven't seen that yet, so I gotta get around to it. Oh, okay. Well, dang, you definitely have to. I'm pretty sure I, I'm pretty sure I gave you the digital code. No, I have it. You, you, oh, you, okay, are, good. you or my sister gave it to me, so. But yeah. Um. Anyway. So yeah, as this movie's like unfolding, like all the crazy dynamics of it. Uh, oh God, Frank Wally. Who I guess was supposed to be like um. Eight to the White House. Yeah. This whole like nu- that that the plot of this movie is that there's a nuclear bomb heist and John Travolta is the one masterminding it and yeah just like every yeah Frank Wally's character in particular like you know he wasn't too like cocky or smarmy but he knew what kind of um you know a heist like this would play out 
Yeah. I want... you know, everybody at the White House would not want this uh, loud. This is during the era of, like, so post-Die Hard, all of a sudden the studio started perking up their ears, especially Fox, towards more high-concept, loaded-to-the-gills kind of cast. I mean, like, you got, uh, uh, what's the one um, with Kurt Russell on the plane? Um, Executive Decision. Executive yeah, Decision, uh, the Under Siege movies, uh, this, Eraser. You know, there's. it seems like in that, in that uh, Last Man Standing with Bruce Willis, they really put a lot of time and money in getting, like, a pretty good supporting cast of recognizable faces. And that's what I love about Broken Arrow is every time you turn around, oh, there's Delroy Lindo. Oh, there's uh, uh, Vondi Curtis Hall. Oh, there's Red. I can't remember his name all of a sudden from that 70s show, uh, Robocop. Um, Kurtwood Smith. Kurtwood Smith. Yes. And then, but, and then you even got, like, you know... Yeah, you know, I don't know about his performance. And I remember after this came out, Show West, which I don't know if it is still a thing. Show West is kind of like an awards uh, done by the theaters. Like all the companies like AMC and stuff like that, they, they, they have their own award shows, kind of like the Oscars. And they always name someone the Show West of the uh, star of the future. So there's always a male and a female. And they picked Howie Long as like the next Arnold Schwarzenegger. So they gave him... Star of the Future Award. He started like one more movie after this. I don't think he's very good. He just got lucky in this. They cut around a bad performance. Oh, definitely. I mean, plus his character I wanted to punch in the face. He was loyal to John Travolta's character in the end. Well, till the end when oh, he yeah. decides he's going to set the bomb off anyway. And he's like, are you out of your fucking mind? I didn't sign up for this. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, of course. And of course. Uh, yeah, that's how high the stakes were, and John Travolta, you know, just played it extremely close to the chest to the point where he was alienating everybody. Yeah. The um. And then, uh, go ahead. The actress who played the park ranger, I can't remember. So that's exactly what I was about to bring up. This is the one weakness of the movie, and I got no ill will against Samantha Mathis, obviously, but this performance of hers, I'm not sure I understand. It she reads almost everything flat. Like, she's just rehearsing the line. Like, she doesn't put any emotion behind it. And I've seen her. She's, as much as they don't like that Super Mario Brothers movie, she's pretty good in it. And she was good with Christian Slater before and Pump Up the Volume. And for some reason, it's just not here in this performance. And I just kept going, oof. Maybe they just chose her because Christian Slater, like, you know, said, hey, I did a good job with her and Pump Up the Volume and she can handle action. I don't think she fits. Yeah, either that or just the direction and there wasn't enough, like, emphasis for her character throughout the writing and directing yeah i don't know and maybe it could be a language barrier too see here's the thing is a lot of this so you know french comedies and and like martial arts movies and stuff like that that are made overseas their sense of humor is different it's it's much bigger it's not a subtle and and i feel like he brings some of that flavor over here especially with travolta holy fuck that's a big performance oh god yes (laughs) we used to joke god damn what a rush we used to joke say that to each other but maybe since oh, yeah. Matt, I, maybe Mathis didn't want to go big with her line readings because she has jokes, but they they read so flat. I don't know. Maybe there's some sort of communication problem there with what he wanted and what she wanted. Uh, so I'm not gonna I hate on her, but I just don't think it fits. Right. Yeah. Even though she was like very key to the movie, especially getting them out of that tunnel before the nuke uh, went off underground. Yeah, oh, that was a crazy performance. I didn't expect that stunt sequence. I love practical effects. There's very little digital in this. 
they do everything they can with miniatures and forced perspective and stuff like that. I thought it was astounding. We're like in the last gasp before digital takes over. Oh, absolutely. And of course, let's not forget the, the use of dummies. <laughs> oh, what's that? What's that screen called? The one that. Yeah! Yeah, that one. I know what you're talking about. Yeah, but they kick Howie Long right out of the train or whatever. He does that, and I'm like, yay! <laughs> yeah, I know. I wanted him to die from since earlier because, you know, he betrayed his squad and got them, you know, one of the bombs. Oh, and then he did his little fake little um, despair over the radio to uh, Delroy Lindo. Oh, God. Like, no one punch him in the face. <laughs> um, yeah, so <laughs> this is one of the few movies I've seen in the theaters twice. 1996 is the year where I saw a bunch of movies twice. I don't know why. Um, this one I saw because it was paired with Independence Day at the drive-in. So, you know, why, why not just see it again? Oh! Yeah. Well, that makes sense. The, uh, it's weird. We have a drive-in here in town. They don't do double features. I've never seen a drive-in that didn't do double features. I'm very confused. I can see maybe if it's like a three-hour-plus epic. But, I what? Because when I was a kid, I saw fucking triple features at the drive-in. Yeah, no, that is unusual. I mean, and plus they're like limited, drivings can be limited things, especially like, what, back to the 90s. Yeah. Uh, yeah, uh-huh. but um, uh, anything else you want to say about Broken Arrow before you move along? Uh, again, yeah, going back to the dummy section, oh gosh. <laughs> when John Travolta's just sitting there, just taking Oh, Honestly, I, yeah. I feel like it is a little masochistic, too. Like, he wanted to die, and he wanted to go out in a blaze of glory. But, <laughs> but he stands up, and he looks the bomb right in the face, and it, you, know, you see that dummy go flying. I've seen way worse dummies, though. It's it's fine. <laughs> True, but it's always so funny. <laughs> mm, okay, you did mention this movie uh, earlier. Oh, are we going on to the next one now? Do yeah, you have yeah. something else to say? Oh, okay. All right, so on to the next movie. Another action pack. You did just mention it, and, of course, Arnold Schwarzenegger in Eraser. Yeah, just loaded to the gills, a great uh, supporting cast. Another, like, okay, so there's more digital in this, obviously. This is kind of like that point where it started to take over more. I mean, we got we got the fucking alligators, which, for some reason, on the big screen looked like shit. On my TV and HD, looked fine. I, 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 I thought it was, I, here's the thing is, the alligator isn't the problem. There's two things that were almost impossible to replicate digitally for the longest time, and that was human movement and water. Right, and it was more so the water effect, wouldn't you think? Yeah, the water around the alligator is the problem. Anything that has like a, a fluid movement. A fire was a problem for a long time, too, I remember. Um, and this is kind of considered the end of an era for Arnold Schwarzenegger. The, the high concept big studio movie that audiences actually went and saw. I mean, he did have the six-day, end-of-days, and collateral damage after this, but for some reason, they just didn't connect. This was really... I, I saw this uh, opening weekend of the theater, and it was it was pretty big. I think it was pretty packed. Um, I mean, honestly, that's how I felt. I mean, anything with Arnold Schwarzenegger, it's always like a big spectacle, and yeah. you're always going to draw a huge crowd. Yeah. And, uh, and then... And also, I think whenever it came to wanting to be, like, doing better as an actor or an action star, yeah, he would go out and seek the directors. Oh, yeah. He put in the work. Well, okay, so Stallone is always known for being an extreme, and still is, extreme narcissist. Where, well, actually, most of the action guys are. Um, but what made Schwarzenegger different is is that he wouldn't just sit idly by or, or, or take over whatever. He was part of the production. 
He was he would work very close with the directors. He was taking acting lessons, you know, whatever. He tried as much as possible uh, to make it the best movie he could. <laughs> and you're looking at a year where action fell apart. This is the last um, uh, of 1996 that was successful. I think that was just a straight up action movie because uh, Van Damme and his career ends this year. Uh, Seagal ends. Um, uh, Stallone, you know, he has a, a, a two or three flops before this, and then he has one this year, and then he disappears for a while as an action star. It's just, it's, it's kind of the end. And I think the only reason Schwarzenegger's career came, uh, kind of, you know, crashed and burned is Batman and Robin really left a bad taste in people's mouth. And I think after that, taking a two and a half year break was a bad idea. Oh yeah, definitely. And then of course, eventually, a few years later, he became governor of California. Yeah, that that didn't help. Well, I mean, I don't know where his career was going because he had so many flops, and he just had a Terminator, and he's like, well, you know what, this did okay. I'm gonna, I'm just gonna stop here for a while. It never recovered either. His career never recovered the way that Stallone's did. Oh no! Oh gosh! Especially after Rocky Balboa, Rambo. Yeah, yeah. But um, but yeah, no. Going on with the racer. Yeah, no. Again, as you were mentioning, like big supporting cast. You know, you got James Caan, Prince Williams, and James Coburn, and even um, James Cromwell. Yeah, apparently everybody names James. Um, I want to give some <laughs> big ups to rest in peace to Robert Pastorelli, who's fucking great in this. It, it, he's kind of oh, like the yes. way. He's kind of like the way Tom Arnold worked with Arnold in True Lies is the, his relationship here. And sadly, he died very young. But I think he gives a... F- Every time I hear the word Blevins, hey, Bill Blevins, I say it like him or, or, or um, Newark. You know, that kind of stuff. He says certain words that I have to say like he does. Yeah, and oh, especially because he shows up big time for Arnold after saving his life at the beginning of the movie. Yeah. Or even that one. That that scene though, where where he's like faking a seizure and he has like the holy shit in his mouth, and then when he he's just like looking at the little monitor and then he unplugs it. Oh my dad! <laughs> my dad was hitting me during this. He has a thing where he laughs hysterically at a movie in a theater, and for some reason, will smash my leg, and I don't know why, but he did it like thirty oh times during that whole sequence. Oh my god, seriously, it's hilarious. It's like, how can you not tell? Like, he's moving and he's talking and he's yeah. grunting as he's getting shocked. What yeah. is up with this? Mean, that's not how it works either. That is fucking 100% not how it works. Because uh, anybody knows how a defibrillator works. First off, um, you gotta put gel on and then you gotta, like, you gotta wait longer. And two, once you do it and his heart is beating, you've just killed him. Uh, you have literally just stopped his heart. And then, so he can't just keep talking and he'd be fine or whatever. You have to do it again to get him back up and running. But I love it when he's like, I'll fucking jump you! <laughs> exactly, yeah. <he's> like, <laughs> oh, man. Perfect timing for them to come back and get him. Yeah, this this railgun thing is one crazy spectacle. I think, I will say this, I think this role is a little beneath James Caan, and I think the villains in this, for the most part, are fucking stupid. But... You cannot deny the crazy spectacle. And Arnold is on fire with chemistry with everybody. He's so good. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And there was no little romantic subplot. He, again, he was just doing his job. And he was actually protecting, you know, the asset. Yeah, well, here's what I'm curious about. 1996, interracial marriage and relationships are still pretty fresh. And I'm wondering is if they only cast Vanessa Williams because there's no romance or they wrote out the romance 
because you know that they're like, well, we we're going to alienate white people, especially in the South. And that kind of sucks. But it is nice that not every action movie has a woman that's like, I just want to be in love. We're going to smooch at the end. Yes, she's a damsel in distress, and I wish that didn't happen. But, you know, whatever. Oh, yeah. And, of course, like, even with what Vanessa Williams does have, whatever character does have, she ends up putting to use, especially, like, near the end of the movie at the at the rail yard when she's, like, getting out of the chair and just knocking out that Russian gangster. Yeah, like, yes, fucking good. In. I, I, I just, um, I love the relationship he has with those two little kids. Oh, actually, before that, I should say that scene with him uh, jumping out of the plane is one of those crazy, inventive things. I, I mean, just that wows me. And I know he, it's a stuntman wearing an Arnold mask. It's fucking obvious. <laughs> but I still think the whole concept was astounding. But when he lands... <laughs> She goes, are you okay? Welcome to Earth. <laughs> no, that was cute as hell. <laughs> He's like, how about a little trade? $50? $50, $50 to steal your dad's truck is a fucking bargain. Shut up. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, God. Even back then. <laughs> yeah, this, this yeah, is good really... Good on that kid, though. I wish that... Um, they had gone with a TV series if they were going to update it. That that Eraser Reborn that came out last year was fucking lame. It, I mean, it was just... It's the same exact plot and just none of the spectacle, though. It was shot for like three or four million dollars and it even steals the same ending. I don't know. I just thought it was really lame. And they, if they're going to continue that kind of story, they should have done it as a TV series, I think. Like, each season he protects somebody. Yeah, no, of course. I mean, especially, you know, a big, especially if you want to get on that spectacle, you're going to have to kind of, like, stretch out that one case to almost a season. Yeah, just make it eight to ten episodes. That's what I love about TV now. They don't fill, they don't, they don't have to put filler episodes in to get to 24 episodes. They can just do, well, this is a story. We only have eight episodes worth or, or something, and then that's it. Yeah, well, unless you're the CW. <laughs> well, okay. Well, I don't even know what's going on the CW. The CW is dead, basically. I don't know what's going on with that channel. I, I well, I know that whatever they sold it off to someone else. Yeah, you know, and they're like, you know, oh, good. we're just gonna do reality Stand TV, and good. yeah, they're importing shows from overseas. I don't know. Yeah, I know it's. Yeah. Anything else it's you want to say about Eraser some... before we go? Uh, I love the ending and the whole railgun concept. I think was actually based off of Navy. Uh, Research and development. Yeah. Like the actual rail gun. The visuals. Again, it has to be something extremely large, not. Yeah, the visuals of the rail gun are dope. I, I really liked them. I really, you know, I feel like that this rail gun concept was something for Hideo Kojima to use in Metal Gear Solid 2, uh, Sons of Liberty. Oh, okay. I've never played this. Well, no, I played the very first one. Yeah, the character Fortune uses a rail gun. Okay. Yeah, and. Oh, God, I'm such a bitch to dodge. I'm not going to lie. How fucking heavy do you think those guns were? And Arnold's just carrying two of them around, taking out. That fucking part where he hits the truck filled with dudes and it goes flying over him. That is one of my favorite parts. I love that. I know. Seriously, it was. Oh, my gosh. Even some of the stunt people like Mike Papajohn and uh, Hans Cronies. It's like, okay, I definitely recognize some of these people. Well, who's it? The dude from Aliens. You remember the one that Valbaski or whatever, the one that has like the giant machine gun with um Oh darn it. Vasquez. Yeah. Uh yeah, he, yeah, he plays uh, a villain in this and I thought he was pretty good. 
Yeah, yeah. Oh, and there's also um, shit that sleazy guy that's in all the uh, uh, fuck, man. Um, Patrick Kilpatrick. He was like in the stand, yes. the death warrant, and he's like, uh, "Do you have any wet work experience?" He goes, "Only on three continents." <laughs> okay, dude. <laughs> no, okay, yeah. It's a, it, honestly, it's definitely an Arnold classic, especially if you're a fan of him. Yeah, this is one of the very first DVDs I ever got because when you bought a, I want to say it was a Toshiba Blu-ray player, they gave you like six or something like that uh, free Blu-ray, or not Blu-rays, I'm sorry, DVDs. And uh, Eraser was one of those uh, that they gave me and one of the only ones I kept because Sphere with Dustin Hoffman sucks. <laughs> All right, what's our next? Yeah, it kind of freaked me out, but yeah. nah, no. These days, yeah, it, it did not age well. Uh, what's the next? Oh, God, this. This I could not realize was a Fairly Brothers movie until I just rewatched it. The Kingpin. God damn it! I I know this soundtrack like like the back of my hand. I love this. I, I so I saw this in theaters and opening weekend. It was pretty empty, and we were shocked because it was from the guys that did Dumb and Dumber. And what I look back now, I didn't realize how important the Olympics were. Like we don't give a shit about the Olympics now. The ratings for that is like a four. Back then, when the Olympics came out, they wiped out everything in its path. So every movie for like the next three weeks, even no matter how high budget, high concept, you know, the stars, whatever, they got murdered. So the fact that this even made $24 million against the Olympics is a shock because I think the ratings for the 96 Olympics were like in the 30s or something like that. I mean, you're talking like Super Bowl almost level. And it it wasn't a one-time thing. You know, it went for like... Weeks all day. <laughs> oh man, yeah, no, I remember like uh, whenever we go to my uh, uncle's house uh, in Ventura when I was a kid. Yeah, I know the Olympics would always be on. Yeah, well, and, like, and of course the ratings are higher when it's, it's in America. The ratings are almost double. It's like, and so '84 was Los Angeles, and '96 I believe was Atlanta. Wow. And um, so yeah, so we saw this in a fairly empty theater, and we just laughed our fucking asses off i mean tears in my eyes and i always nickname wigs the movie because everybody has a ridiculous fucking wig <laughs> no seriously chris elliott clearly having a wig oh yeah. gosh well randy yeah. and then uh both uh, bill murray and woody harrelson have two different wigs that are equally the, the last ones are the epic level comb overs um, yes the balding <laughs> this is the best fairly brothers movies uh, this is the best Woody Harrelson performance. This is my favorite Randy Quaid performance. I absolutely adore this movie. And I think the reason why it works so well, especially early Fairly Brothers movies, is because it's focused on losers. Broken people is what I should say. Not losers. Broken people. And Woody Harrelson gives one of the most sympathetic <laughs> understanding. Even when he's a fucking asshole, you get it. You just fucking get it because... Woody is that goddamn good. And you remember, there was a period where Woody stopped being funny. And Oh, gosh. Because, what was it? He did White Man Can't Jump, and that was the big one that broke him out. But then he did uh, Indecent Proposal, Natural Born Killers, and Money Train. Oh, yeah. And so, I think the Fairley Brothers were there like, hey, you remember, you're one of the funniest fucking people on this planet. We're going to remind the world that you are. God, I love that <laughs> <laughs> Oh, God, even when it came to just stealing milk from a baby for his coffee. Cause he yeah. Oh, and he starts off so hopeful. And I love the part, you know the part where he's eating the oatmeal out of the bowl or whatever, and he's like, Cup of Mojo? 
the dish and he's like just take that outside whatever and every time I go we had those bowls I remember those bowls when I was a kid <laughs> <laughs> oh god yes oh jeez Ernie yeah, McCracken is maybe the top five fucking douchebags in, in, in movie history not villain villains just a fucking douchebag like Shooter McGavin uh, next level kind of thing oh god yes especially it being played by Bill Murray definitely oh even in that freaking advertisement about you know kind of helping out all these like single mothers that help raise their kids while he's going while he's picking all these hot moms in that freaking commercial like you really want to punch him yeah he's such a sleaze and again yeah he screwed him over at the beginning he, he ditched him took his money and he's the one who poured sugar in his tank and yeah pretty much fucked over his whole life i can't believe they fucking cut off his hand and, and it, that's how you start a comedy <laughs> what <laughs> i know like holy shit of all the things like damn <laughs> and, but and then, oh my god yeah it's just how do, it, that's, I don't think that's possible I don't think that thing would grind up your hand all it does is just put a ball back right I have no idea but it would be brutal well fuck let's go do a science experiment let's go <laughs> okay 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 fine but let's, let's actually let's, let's use a rubber hand okay not actual fake synthetic meat we'll, we'll get it we'll get it we'll get an old movie dummy that was left over <laughs> Right. Oh, but oh no, I have to say this. Lynn Shay is the landlady. Oh my god. <laughs> oh my god. What a nightmare! Like, <laughs> what's what is it about a good screw that makes you want to poop? And then she's like, pump it up, pump it up. So this is the R-rated version. So there's extra stuff in there. It's just gross. <laughs> Absolutely. And then at the end of the. Oh god, the post-credit scene at the end—it's just her doing that thing for so long, and then she finally, finally are cutting away, and she's just laughing. <laughs> she's a fucking ace in the hole because she comes back. So she was Mrs. Noodleborg in or Noodleborg or whatever it was in Dumb and Dumber at the very beginning, but then she's in this, and she's everybody remembers her as like the drunken, overly tan lady in Something About Mary. Yes. What's so funny though is because we knew her for comedy for so long, and then like ten years ago she did like The Conjuring or something like that, and then she just became legendary for horror movies. Yeah. No. Wow. I'm glad. Like I said, it was good to see her still being active and you know involved. Yeah. Um, the Amish scene. In this. So uh, this is for some reason we were in an Amish craze because around here, you don't know who this band is probably, but in Indiana there was a band called uh, the Electric Amish. Which do funny spoofs of like classic rock and roll songs, like instead of fat uh, fat bottom girls, they do black bonnet girls and stuff like that. Um, <laughs> but you know, I live in Amish country. Basically, there's lots of Amish people up here, and so that was big. Then we had Amish Paradise from Weird Al, which was a phenomenon. Then we had this, and then the next year we had For Richer and Poorer with uh, Tim Allen and Kirstie Alley. The sad part is. That movie repeats a lot of the jokes that work so well in Kingpin, but don't work. You know, it's something about that movie, the energy's off. Um, this one just fucking perfect because I think if they had the balls to go, gross. I mean, he fucking jerks off a cow and drinks the milk or the sperm. We don't have a cow. We've got a bull. I'm, I'm going to go brush my teeth. Um, or, or, you know, the... Uh, the um oh uh, I can't have any kids I was in a horrible cheese grading accent. he was putting on an Irish accent. Oh right yeah. <laughs> or he takes the shoes off that giant horse. What the fuck? <laughs> you can hear the 
screams of pain from the horse uh, as you know Randy Quaid's talking to his dad about the bank repossessing the land and everything, which is why he recruits, which is why he's going after uh, Ishmael, you know, you know Randy Quaid's character. Yeah, because he, you know he sees he sees the talent he has in bowling. So <laughs> again, yeah, just to get his attention, like to try and fit in. Taking off the shoes of the horse, and then he comes out with the whole hose. The um, it's like is there another spare, another pair that we have to put on? This is definitely one of the movies that we watched all the time in college. We knew this like the back of our hand. If we fuck something up, we go, oh, we munson, or we we're gonna munson this up. <laughs> I love how they point that out in the movie. It's like, why is everybody saying munson? Yeah. Oh well, there's two different versions of that. Well, there's the one where he goes, I don't want to get munson down here. And he goes, wait, what did you just say? And he goes, munson, you know, have uh, everything in your palm of your hands and throw it all away and be up shit creek. And he's like, fucking munson. But there's also a part where he's like, what you doing, Mister Munson? And he goes, flossing. He goes, flossing. Well, where did I get munson from? <laughs> so it's just so bizarre. And also, it's not he threw his life away. He got fucked over. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The um, the guys, I remember the review of this from Siskel and Ebert, and they both loved it. They gave it really huge thumbs up. They loved Woody Harrelson's performance, and they said, I can't wait to look forward to whatever these guys that wrote the script make next. Let me tell you what these guys wrote next. Do tell. <laughs> Boat trip. Ah. <laughs> uh. And the worst Men in Black, Men in Black 2. Oh, there's nothing good to come out of these fucking dildos. Oh. Yeah, Kingpin, I think, I'm guessing Kingpin was one of those scripts where uh, the Farrelly brothers really, like, took over and made it work for them. No, definitely. Like, sometimes, with, uh, especially with the, those writers, it's like, yeah, you kind of need someone to take direction and, like, kind of turn the story around. Yeah. Um, Not have a bunch of yes men. Uh, Vanessa Angel, sweet Vanessa Angel. Nothing happened with her career after this. It's such a fucking shame. She's pretty damn good in this, and then she was on the Weird Science TV show. If you, if you if you've ever seen that, she's that's really, right. Yes, she yeah. was. She's really funny in that. And after this, it's because the movie didn't do very well, she was like, you know, I think I saw her like six years later, or four years later, in some piece of shit sci-fi channel movie called Sabretooth, with the worst digital effects you've ever seen. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And then she was in... Oh, God. What? Baby Jesus 2? Oh, fuck. The only movie where I was sure I dropped acid because we had to play it at our movie theater and one of us had to volunteer to watch it to make sure that it run properly. Uh, Uh, I got a half hour into that and I was like, sweet Jesus, what's going on? (laughs) Yeah, no. I I mean, the first one, I was like, okay, cool. It's adorable. It's kind of funny. Good moments. Got Christopher Lloyd. But... The second one, I'm like, yeah, I can't even bother. Yeah, well, hell? I mean, it's, and I don't know what happened. The guy that directed these movies was the guy who did Christmas Story. How the fuck did you go from Christmas Story to that? Lots and lots of flops, man. Ouch. Yeah. Um, okay. One of the few bowling movies, so hey, if you're a bowling fanatic like two of my close friends in college were, <laughs> this is pretty much your only go-to. What other bowling <laughs> movies are there? I can't think of one. There's got to be another bowling movie. Bowling, bowling for no. Columbine does not count. Um, yeah, this is pretty much Shit. it if you want to watch bowling movies. And and I love that he's like, these are the top of the elite class. So you're looking at the grade A sportsman right here. <laughs> 
No, seriously, like the way he just tries to hype the place up, it's just ridiculous. Yeah. Oh. And I like how he like he like you know because he has no money for the entry fee, so he has them like try to take his ring, but they always keep thinking he's referring to his rubber hand. Yeah. Well, here's the thing: is they're really bowling. You see Bill Murray and Woody Harrelson bowl. You do. They don't do cutaways. There's no digital effects for it. You see them. There's no, you know, no, there's no digital ball. There's no, uh, you know, like, um, I don't know, like uh, a split screen. There's nothing. Those guys are literally bowling. And you can see Woody Harrelson has some appliance on his fucking hand that he's using to bowl and getting those strikes for real. That is dope. No, absolutely. God, yeah. <laughs> oh my god! And then I'm trying to do their little dances when they were younger, though. I love how they're like backseat cracking and they're going in pain. I love, I love my favorite. One of my favorite jokes in this is so minor, but it's it's repeating the beginning where they have showdown, you know, dun, 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 and everybody's just like, yeah, let's go, whatever. And all of a sudden, Woody Harrelson just fucking falls over the, <laughs> and it all ends. The whole that whole moment of triumph is just over. The balls they had to, the balls they had to let your hero loose. I remember the, when I saw it, I was like, what the fuck is, I think, what I said in the theater after going through that journey. And then you realize, oh, this is a Bad News Bears kind of ending. And he still wins in the end because of certain, you know, like the rubber man, you know, because of his hand, he gets a condom sponsorship. And she took that <laughs> money or whatever and bent against him. You know, I just, I thought it was really clever and, and not obvious like a lot of sports movies. Yeah, no, definitely. Exactly. Yeah, she did come back and then, of course... You know, Ishmael and them got their land back. You know, they paid off the bank. Everything's all set. And yeah. And they hired the Blues Traveler. I I was like, I'm pretty sure. I was like, I recognize that voice somewhere. I knew it. Oh. Yeah, never but see yeah, them no. live, by the way. They don't play their hits from what my sister said. They just have a jam session like the Grateful Dead for an hour. And you're like, that was a fucking waste of time. Sessions are just random, and you're just like trying to figure things out. But yeah, like when you're already like playing for an audience, yeah, no, dude, you gotta play your songs. Man. <laughs> All right, but anything yeah, else oh, about this? One more thing I want to say about this movie: that fight scene between Woody Harrelson and oh god, Vanessa. It's <laughs> Vanessa so over dramatic. I love the music. I love the part that he insult he insults her before that. He goes, "The kind of dresses you wear, you need two hairdos to." <laughs> <laughs> I love how she just like really punched and kicks him right in the dick and she she does not mess around she you know beats the shit out of him <laughs> he just has to put and, and every dirty every Fairly Brothers movie that I can think of at the moment they always have a cameo by a sports guy uh, Cam Neely was the first one the the T-Bass or C-Bass or whatever his name was and then in this one they have Roger Clemens as the guy in the bars are you hitting on my woman yes <laughs> Yes. Oh, God. And then I think, well, Brett Favre, Favre is in the third one. Uh, Brett Favre, yes. Yeah, hope he goes to jail for his bullshit. Uh, <laughs> fuck him. Yeah, fuck him. <laughs> All right, so what is next? Next? Oh, my God. That was the first time I watched it. But, but again, it's Steve Martin. It's hard not to love him. Sergeant Bilko. God Damn it, I love this movie. It got some of the worst reviews. It didn't make its money back. And and because of this movie tanking so hard, Steve Martin disappeared for three years. It's just... Damn shame. I mean, I don't know what it was. Maybe... Oh, excuse me. Uh, probably people who 
who are in the military just got a little too butthurt or people top. No, it was literally the fans of the old show. And I've seen the old show. I was watching around this time because Nick at Night, or no, uh, TV Land had just debuted and they started airing this all the time. Ah. It's, it's, they're so similar. I don't understand. It's, it's a love letter to the old show. It makes its own thing. Steve Martin is on fucking fire. Another movie surrounded to the gills with great supporting cast and this is that run of military comedies we we're talking about before i think and most of them tanked uh it starts with renaissance man uh, with danny devito uh that did okay in the army now did okay but barely made its money back then um major pain which critics hated but made its money back then down periscope which came out like a month before this maybe just a few weeks it tanked no one liked it uh, and then this tanked, and I think the last one is next year with Mikhail's Navy, which also did way worse than all of them. And man, no one remembers that fucking movie. Oh wow, Mikhail's Navy sounds—is that the one with Kelsey Grammer? No, that's that's the one down Periscope. That's the one with Tom oh. Arnold and Tim Curry. Ah, uh, okay. How have they never made a Beetle Bailey movie? If you're gonna make a military comedy and you don't do Beetle Bailey, which is an obvious, that's confounding to me. Yeah, I just weird. It's just you think at some point they would have made a Beetle Bailey TV show or a movie. I mean, I could have said like ten years ago you could have done Dax Shepard as Beetle Bailey easily. Oh God, yes. <laughs> now that is the perfect. Ma- that would be a perfect matchup. Yeah. The um. But go ahead, sorry. Yeah. No. Again, this is my first time watching it, and dude, Eric Sparky Edwards. Fucking brilliant, isn't he? Isn't he amazing? Absolutely. Oh gosh, yeah, I'm so bashful. You know, from like doing the simplest duties. Oh, so <laughs> I love when he, when Daryl Chill Mitchell is complaining about him. And he goes, he peed his bed last night. And he goes, well, that happens sometimes. He goes, from across the room. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God! Yes. <laughs> oh man! And then, oh gosh, I'm trying to remember their other names. They look. He seems so familiar. Uh, well, I'll go through this real quickly. So uh, the reason why the expectations were so high for this one is because, A, it had the biggest budget. It had the biggest supporting cast. Also, it was from Ron Howard's company and from the director of uh, My Cousin Vinny. So the expectations were huge. So while $37 million is nothing to scoff at when they expected way more, that's where the problem comes from. So it's Steve Martin, uh, Dan Aykroyd, Phil Hartman, and Glenn Headley. And then, of course, there's a cameo from Chris Rock in here. And those are the bigger attention getters. Um, we have Max Casella, who was the best friend on Doogie yes. Hauser. Uh, we have Austin Pendleton, who was the lawyer with the stutter in My Cousin Vinny. Um, Mitchell. Yeah, Daryl Chill Mitchell, which uh, a lot of people know from Galaxy Quest. Probably was his biggest thing. Uh, I'm trying to remember. I feel like there's one guy from the Fast X. He's a bad guy in Fast X, but I knew him from the John job. Ortiz. Yes, thank you. He was a, a goofy little shy guy on a TV show with Dennis Leary called The Job. Uh, there's Pamela Seagal, um, what the daughter of Phil Silvers, uh, who played Sergeant Bilko, is in this as the girl with Chris Rock, the one he keeps going. She keeps looking at you. Oh, you just missed it. <laughs> I, yes, I love how he's touring around with the auditors. Oh my god. Yeah, there's Travis Tritt, uh, who's a who's a scumbag, so let's fucking erase that part. <laughs> uh, we have Deborah Joe Rupp, who most people know as Kitty on that 70s show. So we're just talking loaded to the gills, and that's just the ones I mentioned. Oh, and then we got of course you mentioned Phil Hartman, who's like the antagonist in this movie. Oh gosh. Wow, what a greasy sleeve. So well. 
Oh, and I love seeing him, like, he almost, like, shave, cut his hair down to really, really sh- a low level, like, almost like a, a, a fucking blade, and it's blonde. I, I, I thought he was really maniacal and fun in this one. Oh, no, absolutely. Oh, gosh, especially at the end when everything kind of backfires on him. And, and then you've got Glenn Hadley as, you know, girlfriend Rita Robbins. Yeah, and of course, she was oh, with man. him in Dirty Rotten Scoundrels. They work so well together. So it's like the chemistry's already there, but man, the way he puts her character through so much. Oh, you know, she did a, oh, oh, she should have kicked him right in the fucking nuts. But she's playing him too. She's <laughs> she's not some dumb bimbo who just keeps getting used. She loves him, but she's fucking had enough, and she's gonna mess with him. She's gonna test him. She's a con artist, almost you know on the same. Like he cannot outwit her. She's just as smart and, and savvy as as, uh, as he is. <laughs> Right. I just said near the beginning of the movie, it's 12 o'clock on Saturday. I feel like I have somewhere to be. <laughs> <laughs> I love the fucking horse. The horse hanging from the ceiling. And he goes, what is the horse doing here? He goes, oh, it's just, we're doing testing with that later. Oh, okay, Dan Aykroyd's not exactly the sharpest tool in the shed. No. <laughs> every, time I hear, every time I hear riding along in an automobile, my brain automatically goes, oh, is, is someone important is coming to hide our crap. Yeah. No, absolutely. I mean, again, just the way it, uh, again, like, uh, not as you said, a love letter to the show with a few new twists and spins. And again, it's just Steve. Steve Martin. Yeah. He's always so charming. Oddly enough, oh, Steve, Steve wasn't the first person offered this. It was Albert Brooks who turned it down. And I was like, well, that's weird because Steve and Ron Howard by this point had a pretty good relationship. So I'm kind of surprised he didn't get it offered first. You know, Ron Howard having something to do with this movie, you could tell. His dad's in the movie. Yeah, yeah, He's, yeah. He's uh, Glenn Healy's dad. <laughs> oh, man. I'm actually beat from talking about this. I get so excited. I love watching the energy that Steve Martin has here. He's just absolutely on fire. Absolutely. Oh, my God. I, I mean, uh, again, like every scene, every joke, even with the card games, it's like, should I give all this money back? Yeah. I feel bad about it, you guys. <laughs> but I'm just going to go. There's, but there's so many jokes upon jokes upon jokes. It's almost airplane hotshots level. You have to see what's in front of the camera, but look at it in the background what other characters are doing. There's a really funny thing that Eric Edwards does where they're all lining up or whatever because brass is coming or whatever, and he forgets that he has a hammer in his hand or, or, or a giant wrench in his hand, and he goes to salute and he smacks himself in the face. That's, oh, <laughs> god damn it, it's good. By the way, he lost a ton of weight. I don't know. He still yes. stand, he doesn't act as much, but he's still a stand-up comedian, and he lost all the weight, and he looks great. But I know him. I think you probably know him before this from Senior Trip. Yes, that's one of the movies I definitely recognize him yeah. from. The hey, um, anything that Penelope Spheris is involved with, he was there. Prom Child Two, he was in that. Yeah. Oh uh, yeah, no, I think there. he's in three. I think he's in three. I'm trying to remember. Oh, which one was three? Wait, wait it was part two with the one where. Uh, John Ritter remarries. It's Amy Yasbeck again, but just in a wig and glasses. Oh, uh, okay. For some reason, I thought he was in the one that John Ritter didn't show up. That's basically been thrown away. They pretend like doesn't exist. Uh, it's the one where, um, oh, doggone it, William Cat takes his role, and it was a TV movie. So I, I don't know. Uh, oh, that would explain it. Yeah, if you're very curious, the third one's not bad. It's free on Tubi. At least it was the last time I checked. But yes. Yeah, Eric Edwards. The Ari- I love what they try to do just to have him 
to play him off doing push-ups because, you know, the passive physical Oh, time. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love the first time, though. The first time when someone says, give me 50 or whatever, and then they're all distracted. Whatever goes, and 50. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And they're like, what, what oh, just man. happened? <laughs> no, again, just from start to finish, I just love this movie, and I can't believe uh, – God. Yeah, I'm shocked. It didn't deserve it. It didn't deserve all that hate. Yeah, I'm shocked. This is a first time watch for you. I, I assumed you had seen this, and uh, that's the the joy of this show is that I get to show you movies you've never uh, witnessed before. It's getting a little harder now because now you were at that age where you were old enough to start choosing movies during the '80s. You know, there's a lot of stuff you missed because you were born in '88. But yeah, every once in a while we're gonna get one in here that you won't know and be like, "Yeah, this fucking kicks ass." All right, let's wrap oh, it up. Absolutely. Let's wrap it up. Ninety-sixth year of comedy, man. Loaded to the gills. Cast. What do we got? Oh my god, this one. Oh gosh, I did not realize how bizarre it was. But then again, it stars Jim Carrey, Cable Guy. Yeah, but this was Stiller, and of course, co-starring Matthew Broderick. Yeah, at the time though, this. Everybody hated this movie. It did not do well. People were... Because it made the news. Because Jim Carrey got $20 million from this. And I... If he wasn't the first guy, which I think it was Stallone, he was definitely the second guy to do it. Uh, the Stallone movie never happened. The company went out of business. I don't know what the fuck they were thinking offering $20 million to a guy when they had no money. But... So that was... A lot of that was riding on the line. This was a $40 million movie where half of the budget was going to Jim Carrey. Not the first time that happened. Dumb and Dumber, it was a $17 million movie where $10 million of it went to Jim Carrey. Or maybe it was seven and whatever. Um, and I remember going to the theater with my friend Dave, and he hated this. He didn't understand it. The trailer sold it as much more wacky, whatever, and I was fucking in love with it. Because I've always had a predilection for dark comedies anyway, and this was my jam. It was weird. It was thoughtful. He gives a really sad, broken performance. It wasn't as obnoxious and in your face as the movies before that. And I was one of the few people at the time was like, yeah, this is a great movie or whatever. Because, yeah, it didn't. It did not do well. I know, which is a damn shame. Because I, I mean, of course, as a kid, seeing all the little previews on HBO and stuff, you thought it, I, I always thought it was a big movie. And going, uh, watching this for the first time as an adult, oh man, I'm like, this is definitely Ben Stiller ridiculousness yeah uh, well it's almost a horror movie if you think about it it's it takes like all those because we're in that you know that the from hell in quotation marks yes. the, the girlfriend from hell the wife from hell the affair from hell that kind of the roommate from hell it takes that concept which was so hot at that time the friend from hell or something like that and just twist it in such a fucking bizarre way but without oh, absolutely yeah, it's it's just, it's a dark dark twisted weird comedy Oh god! Oh god! And then the karaoke scene though, when he starts singing uh, "Somebody to Love" by Jefferson Airplane. Yeah, that's that, that's Carrie letting loose. Yeah, I mean, I felt like Ben Stiller would be the kind of director, especially because he, he himself kind of can let loose. Would let Jim Carrey kind of go let loose and get crazy. And oh god, I couldn't help it. It's just so memorable, especially yeah. when he goes over the top when saying. Uh, performing certain words he would always like kind of roll it on a little longer than he should <laughs> well and then I noticed like one of the party goers was um oh gosh people like, oh yeah Sean Whalen. oh yeah yeah from he people in the series yeah guy. like 
so many familiar faces you would know, especially because Ben Stiller, Stiller worked with them before. Like, you see Jeannie Garofalo, you see Andy Dick, although he can fuck off for the rest of his life. But, yeah, no, like, anybody he had worked with, yeah, they would have an appearance in this movie. So, this is one of the movies I believe was put together by Bernie Brillstein and Brad Gray. Brad, those guys were really starting to break through at the time because in the early 90s, they were smart enough to start looking for the guys like on sketch shows, all the comedy guys that either weren't signed or were being getting bad representation. And what they did is they packaged stuff together. So, um, they did like Just Shoot Me, Mr. Show, um... Uh, the cable guy, they were doing SNL. They were doing a lot of those comedy shows at the time. What's the one? A news radio they did. So if you were signed with them, you were almost guaranteed to show up in a small role in one of those movies or, or shows or whatever. And they kept going for years with this. So there's a whole era of comedy that is brought to you by Brad uh, Gray and, and Bernie Brillstein. And, and definitely you see it in this because you have Ben Stiller, you have Owen Wilson. Uh, I think in the first. No, yes. no, he had been in Bottle Rocket first, um, but you have uh, Bob and Dave from uh, Mr. Show. You have, I think, yes. both guys from Tenacious D, right? Yes, you do actually have Jack Black. Of course, yeah, Jack Black and Ben Stiller have worked together for, you know, quite a long time. Yeah, so and you, you see the pieces here lining, because yeah, you said Andy Dick and Janine Garofalo and stuff like that. So you have also the Ben Stiller Show cast in this, and... I, I just whatever it is I, they made a movie they wanted to make not a studio wanted to make and I think that's why this holds up why this is special that's why Zoolander is special is because Ben Stiller makes movies for the most part when he directs them or produces them for him and his friends and hopefully it connects to other people instead of the studio yes absolutely because you can see that with uh, something like the movie Walter Mitty or heck even Tropic Thunder which Oh, God. Did you ever see that stupid article about him saying, like, he'll never apologize for it? Well, he no, should no. apologize for what? Never go full retard or the blackface? What what part should he apologize for? Yeah, like, as far as, it, uh, nobody was asking him to apologize. That's the thing. Nobody was making a big fuss of it, but, yeah. You know, well, there's some people... person who published a story, yeah. yeah, no, they'll always make, they'll try to make something out of nothing. Yeah, Plus, well, here's like, the thing is... You have to think it in context of the character. This, the character that Robert Downey Jr. plays is a narcissistic, clueless fucking jackass who would say something like, never go full retard. Ben Stiller is not saying to embrace that, to to make that a theme that he wants out in the world. He's saying this character who's so self-absorbed, who would do the blackface, also say offensive shit and be clueless. So, I mean, they're almost all exactly. piece... Almost everybody in that movie is a piece of shit. You're not supposed to root for them. <laughs> exactly. That was the point of the movie. Like, he pretty much just held a mirror to Hollywood's face. It's like, this is 2008. You guys are still doing this? Yeah, well, it's the, the same thing with this movie. movie. There's really no characters that are good guys. Everybody's kind of manipulative or makes bad decisions or selfish. And it's it's that's the way it is with darker comedies you're not technically supposed to like oh i see myself in this person if you do <laughs> that's a bad sign <laughs> oh god yes i mean geez look at american psycho it's like no the point of this is yeah is fight club bad. is a cautionary tale the joker is a cautionary tale people it's not something you're supposed to want to be um, exactly <laughs> so this this temporarily destroyed ben stiller's career i'm not kidding they put him in director jail 
they wouldn't cast him in anything except small independent movies his career was over the Farrelly brothers stood up for him with something about Mary and saved his ass oh god yes I'm glad they did because quite frankly Ben Stiller was absolutely hysterical in that yeah well and also Jim Carrey went and signed up for Liar Liar almost immediately after this came out as a safety cushion you know a big studio pleasing film an easy to understand concept and that saved him and I think that made him nervous for a little while until um, like Truman Show I think kind of gave him a doorway to go do Man in the Moon and, and uh, Sunshine on the Endless what is that called Eternal Sunshine on the Spotless Eternal Man? Sunshine on the Endless yeah, yeah so I mean he would go toward his you know predilection towards darker comedies yes absolutely and he would start to get a little bit more dramatic and a little bit more serious yeah. which he could pull off well, this but is... when he does yeah, this was originally offered to uh, um, Chris Farley. Oh wow! Yeah. But, oh my god! How crazy and wild could that have been? Yeah. So he had, he had already done Black Sheep. They shot that real quick after uh, he was fired from SNL, and so this shot and I think in fall of '95, maybe early '96. I know it was a quick shoot, but he was already doing Beverly Hills Ninja at the time, so he couldn't do this. And I, I mean. I think it would. I don't think it would be as dark. I think Farley would get nervous with having a really dark comedy. Yeah, I know. Because as far as dark comedies go, I've never actually seen him in one. I know he uh, idolized Jim Belushi, so maybe he ha- Maybe he saw this as his neighbors, which is, I think, a highly underrated dark twisted movie with uh, Aykroyd and um, Belushi. Oh God, yes, I remember that one. Oh jeez, that was a trip. <laughs> so. Uh, most people remember the karaoke scene, but my favorite scene is the fucking Medieval Times. <laughs> yeah, oh my god, yes. I was just about to mention that when they're in Medieval Times and they're randomly selected to fight each other. And then Jim Carrey's just freaking, you know, mimicking that song from Star Trek when, fuck, when Spock and Kirk fought each other. Yeah, I just thought <laughs> <laughs> But my favorite part of that is when he's asking her for <laughs> forks. And he goes, I'm sorry, uh, we don't have utensils at medieval times. We try to keep it as realistic to the time as possible. And he goes, but you have Coke and Pepsi. <laughs> <laughs> God, yes. No, seriously, that, was a good, uh, that, uh, that overall was a great sequence. Oh, my gosh. And then the nightmare sequence. Holy fuck, that was next level. Girl, I want to see Ben Stiller actually do a horror movie. Seriously. Oh my god, I'm just like shit, he could. I, I almost mean, feel like lately. Ben Stiller and Danny DeVito are the only two like guys that could have gotten really big, dark, twisted comedies made back in the day. Nobody can do it now. It's just not going to happen. Well, no, Game Night. Game Night was fucking dark. Oh yeah, no. I mean, it also depends on the directors and who can get dark humor. Yeah, and you got to get an A-lister to sign up or nobody's going to do it. But I think they get nervous because, like, Death to Smoochie and Duplex, any all these dark comedies with Carrie and Robin Williams and Ben Stiller, they all flopped. That is a damn shame, though, regarding Smoochie. I freaking love that. Fucking movie. love Smoochie. Ow, my balls! They burned them! <laughs> <laughs> you want your little booger-eating rugrats on my show? <laughs> all right. Oh, God, I know. Seriously. Oh, man. But, yeah, again, this, I thought, was, again, a huge hit and a huge part of childhood. But then again, 
pretty much almost anything with Jim Carrey was a huge yeah. part of my childhood, and anything with Robin Williams. Yeah, I mean, you were too young to know like this was a flop at the box office. I mean, technically, it's made money back because of international sales. <laughs> But it's one that was discovered on video and HBO and cable, and that's where it found its audience. Because now, if you look at it, people are like, oh, yeah, that movie's great. But, you know, some people are like, this is fucking weird. It's nothing like Ace Ventura. Yeah, that's the point. <laughs> I know. It's like, it's good to see Jim Carrey do, get, get a little bit out of his range. You know, that's yeah. good to see for an actor you love. Well, that way you want to keep them around. Jim Carrey and Eddie Murphy both worshipped. Um, Jerry Lewis. Thank you. I don't know why my brain stopped. Love Jerry Lewis, and Jerry Lewis never really evolved. It was, I mean, if it was, it was so minor. And I think people just got burnt out by the late 60s, and then his career just dried up. And the only time he would ever come back is when he would do darker, more serious stuff for a while there. Uh, have you ever seen King of Comedy with him and Robert De Niro? No, I haven't. When did that come out? It was 1983. It was Martin Scorsese, and, and so... Uh, Robert De Niro. Oh. Robert De Niro plays a comedian who's fucking terrible. His name is Rupert Pumpkin, which I feel like is a joke in another movie. I, I remember. <laughs> I feel like I've seen that Rupert Pumpkin, but he thinks that he's going to be a major star. All he has to do is get Jerry Lewis, who who has like a Johnny Carson kind of show, to book him. That's it. All he does is imagine being on that show, doing his set. He even has a fake set in his basement. And then he, he, he kind of breaks down mentally, and he thinks the only way he's going to be able to get on the show now is to kidnap Jerry Lewis and force Holy him. Holy shit. And he goes, I, I'm not going to, like, I'm not ransoming you. I'm just here to convince you that I'm a genius. I'm a brilliant comedian. And The Joker is almost a sequel to King of Comedy. And that's why Robert De Niro now plays the Jerry Lewis kind of role. I felt like it was... Honestly, now that you mention that, that's what I felt like Joker was. It was like a little ode to that. Yeah. If anything. It is. And that's why Martin Scorsese produced it, uh, A, because the story is so similar, but he thought it was an interesting flip on the movie that he made. Oh, absolutely. And, of course, you know, Robert De Niro was cast, so it's like, you know, those yeah. two definitely have to get together. It, it's it's hard. To, I can't get it digitally. Uh, you'll just have to get a physical copy. Check your dollar stores. I saw a bunch of them over the years at, like, Dollar Tree. Is that the one where it's actually literally a dollar twenty-five or something like that? Yeah. Yeah. There's actually one just down the street. Okay, yeah, check it out. They might have a – they had Blu-rays of them for a buck. I know. Like, there are some movies I would like to have on Blu-ray, especially the older ones. Yeah, um, especially now that streaming services are taking shit off and erasing them permanently. <clears throat> Black, uh, I, seriously, bootleg this shit. I don't give a fuck now. Touring it. Now we're now no now as a society we are now preserving because if you remember back in the '60s they erased almost all of Doctor Who. They were gonna erase all of Monty Python because they didn't see any continual usage of it. So. Fans, no. fans either stole the tapes or they recorded them off or whatever. They found a way to salvage them. And that's where we're at right now. I really hope someone saved Batgirl. I hope that it's in a vault somewhere that someone's kept on a flash drive or something. They've stored online. That, so when what's-his-fucking-face gets fired from Warner Brothers, what's his name? Zazzleoff. Oh, so they, they finally come back and say, hey, all we needed was like $20 million to finish the special effects and we can release this. You know those motherfuckers at Disney erasing their shows? I hope they're not actually permanently erasing them. They're going to sell them to another service because Willow just came out. 
It just ended. Exactly. And they already removed it from their service. Bootleg that shit. Archive it. Save it. Because if these corporations aren't going to do something about it, you we have to do it. Um, and you know, oh, absolutely. I, I balked at first when I saw like fake DVDs of some of these TV shows and movies being sold online. Now I embrace it. You know, if they're not going to put them on a physical, somehow it's got to be saved. What if we have an EMP blast at Netflix? <laughs> Their whole hard drives are erased. <laughs> oh my God, would they be screwed? Yeah, yeah. If they got nothing to offer, oh my God, they better put Masters of the Universe Revelation on Blu-ray. I'll uh, play it once it yeah, is. Yeah. Uh, this is the longest episode we've done in probably a year. We usually stop around 40 minutes. This is I, I'm absolutely this this is the old energy I was looking for. I feel like I've been kind of out of it, and Jacob's been carrying me across the finish line lately. Like we're finishing this together, man. All right. No one left behind. <laughs> All right, everybody. That is it for this episode. I already got my list set up for next time, so I'm going to tell you now just to tease you. Joe's apartment, Last Man Standing, Independence Day, Tin Cup, and The Rock. Yes, welcome to The Rock. I can't wait to watch the outtakes. All right, everybody. That's it. Have a good one. All right. Namaste and good luck, you. Yeah. Namaste and good luck, everybody. Be excellent to each other. And party on, dudes. <laughs>